Good morning. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Don't lie. If you lie to a pastor, it's double sin. How are you this morning? Okay, if you're between a 7 and a 10, say, yeah. If you're between a 5 and a 6, middle of the road, say, ah. If you're under a 5, just be like, uh. Just making sure. Just making sure. Um, if you did not get your Bible app out, I would encourage you to do so. You can scan the barcodes on your way in, but even if you don't, if you have the Version Bible app, which is the big popular free one, you go to the bars at the bottom right, hit those bars, you'll see events, and when you tap events, if your location is on, it will pop up. It's not working. It's working on my phone, so get on my level, people. Fine. Doesn't matter. This Sunday's going to be nerdy anyway. I hope you guys are prepared for nerdiness. Um, that means you could do the old school Bible thing where you have paper Bibles. This is why apps are a letdown. See this quality paper Bible? If you have a paper Bible, can you just flip the pages for me so I can remember what it was like? See how sad that is, you guys? Back in the, in the early 2000s, you'd be like, okay, we're going to be preaching from Matthew wherever today. And you would just hear the... Yeah, it was amazing. All the Baptists with tabs were just like thump. All the Presbyterians, just looking for it. And uh, the new Christians, they're the ones just looking forever. So uh, instead of First John today, we're going to go to Habakkuk. Find that one, people. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Um, how many of you have something in your life that you would love to change? Some level of anxiety, pain, a, a characteristic that you have. Is there something in your life that you would love to change? Because if not, you just leave right now. I'm just kidding. You don't have to leave, but you could. Uh, today, really, it's just you can change. And why I wanted to preach about this is because at times, um, at times we, we forget that we can change and we treat God's commands as obligations. If you grew up in church, you might feel like, Every time they, the pastor says or the priest says uh, something about God, I feel obligated. Like, I have to do this. I have to do this. And I want us to shift that mindset today. So when we, when we see the word commands, when we, when we see the command to keep the commands, to hold on to these commands, to remember that every commandment in the Bible is an opportunity for you to step into a kingdom life. It's not an obligation that will earn you. If you do it well enough, then God will love you. It's an opportunity to live the life that God has drawn out for you. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that you are God's workmanship. You are his poema is the word there. You're his poem. He's writing a poem of your life. And all of the commands, the ones that we had beat into us as children, they're for our good. And we do a terrible job. Everyone say, terrible job. Terrible job at teaching this. We tell our kids not to lie, and we give them no reason why. Don't lie. And what do we say as parents? Because why? Yeah. Because you'll get caught. Because it's bad. Because no one will trust you with that exact phrase. No one will trust you. We tell one another that are struggling with anxiety and worry, don't worry. What do we say right after that? Be happy. Or don't worry about a thing. Or ting, because every little ting is going to be all right. Um, I'm very excited 
there's a, my wife met a Filipino lady that's moving into my new neighborhood. So my dreams are slowly coming true, one Filipina at a time. Before we know it, we're going to have a Tagalog service. And I don't know how to speak Tagalog, so that would be problematic for me. First John, you guys, we're going we're gonna to change today. And I hope that you have in your mind something that you have thought about, something that's a habit or a characteristic in your life, and you think, I wish I could get rid of this. And if you don't know where to go, think of the fruit of the Spirit, love. Do you want more love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what the Spirit produces in us. And today I want to help you find more of those if you have the opposite end of those coins. If you're filled with, with apathy or hatred or anger or no peace, uh, tension and worry and anxiety. If you're not faithful but rather faithless, I want to help us all find that. And so uh, we step into God's Word. We're going to start reading First John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone say, born again. Born again. Don't forget, you guys, we are born again. If you are not a follower of Jesus and then you become a follower of Jesus, you are what? Born again. And I have, I've said this a number of times. I need to say it again. When someone is born again, they are a baby. They're a baby in the faith. We can't treat brand new believers as if they're 60-year-old believers. We treat brand new believers as brand new believers, which means just like my children, and it's the joke that keeps on giving to me because I kept making children. When my kids, for the very first time, poopied their pants, I didn't look at them and say, how dare you poop your pants? Because they didn't know what they were doing. I changed their diaper. I used wipes. Or if it was a really bad one, I yelled at my wife and said I was busy. Born again. So if you want to be born again, Believe in Jesus. This is just, it's a flow chart here in 1 John chapter 5. Whoever believes in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, you've been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. If you have God's love in you, you will love others. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. When Jesus spoke about the law of God, he said, come to me if you're weary, tired, exhausted. That just checked three boxes of my life. I will give you rest. Come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will never forget how heavy Christianity felt to me in the early years. I felt like I had to pretend to be someone who I wasn't, I felt like there were unknown rules that I had to learn and understand. And it was oppressive. It was like a weight was put on top of me every time I walked in to that building for many, many years. I get to take uh, my son, I'm taking my oldest son um, to California for my grandmother's funeral toward the end of this month. And, uh, and I was thinking, I was talking to Amy, I was like, what, where should I take him? She said, well, you got to take him to where you grew up because I have all these stories. And he's like, I want to go there. And then he wants to have ramen. So we're going to go to my favorite ramen place. And then I thought, I'm going to take him to where I became a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> it's a church where I was grabbed by the back of the, of the tank top, walking into service with sand on my feet and board shorts still dripping from the beach. And they said I couldn't wear that there, and I was unaware. It's the same church where they had a Catholic Bible in the front, front 
uh, in front of the communion table. And I was such an ornery Christian. I would go up every Sunday and I'd flip it to the uh, books that are in the Catholic Bible and not in the Protestant Bible. And that's, we don't need to go there, but I'm just saying there's, the Catholics have bonus books that we don't get. It's good to read them, but they're not part of the original uh, canon of scripture, the 66 books. And I would write a connection card. I was the Karen. Please remove the Catholic Bible from the front of this Protestant church. Ironically, I'll be um, sharing at my grandma's funeral, which is at Mission San Luis Rey, which is very Catholic. So I'm planning on wearing my 500th anniversary of the Reformation t-shirt to her funeral. Bad luck? I thought so too. <clears throat> you said no, Jeremiah? I, I want you to know that commandments are not burdensome because when we get into um, the drawing portion of this morning, you may feel overwhelmed. Like, how could I possibly change who I am? How could my character change? I've been doing the same thing, struggling with the same battles, having the same lack of patience, having the same short temper, having the same crippling anxiety for years and years and years. How could I ever possibly change? It starts with knowing that you've been born of God. That's the beginning. If you have not been born of God, none of this sermon matters. If you have not been born of God, ask yourself, do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? The one who was anointed and sent from God to die for me and to rise again. To live the life that I couldn't live. So that all of my bad and sin was put on him and all of his perfect right things were put on me. When God sees you, he sees Christ covering you, around you, filling you. So these commandments, they're not obligations. They're opportunities for you to understand how God hardwired the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What's the victory? Our faith. Our faith in Christ is the victory. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is what I want us to press into today, to understand what it means to be loved by God in such a way that we love others and then we have the opportunity to keep his commands. We got in an argument at Band of Brothers yesterday. And uh, by we, I mean just me and my father-in-law. Um, it's really cool when you are a pastor and then you married a pastor's daughter. No, you married a pastor, yeah, pastor's daughter. Charlie was a pastor for how many years? 86, 86 years, you guys. <laughs> I like that you're finally jumping on board with the old jokes. That makes me happy. He's being modest. He's only pastored for 85. Anyway, <clears throat> we go back and forth, and I'm addicted to grace. The grace of God, I wrote it on my body here. I wrote mercy over here on this wrist, and I wrote to die, which means it is finished on my forearm. And it's not for anyone else but me. It's to remind me, Ryan, you need grace. You get grace from Jesus alone. You need mercy, and you get that from Jesus alone. And it is all finished. There's nothing that I do that makes God love me 1% more. And we've driven this home over and over and over again. And the common accusation that has ever been levied against me is if you keep talking about grace, people are going to sin. And my 10 millisecond response is people are already sinning. I don't need to convince people to sin. People are doing it. The longer you're a Christian, the more that you will get rid of the sin that people see. But today I want to get after a different sin. You see, this idea of keeping the commandments, it's important for us to understand we have this opportunity, and I need you to know how sin works, um, and I need some of you to confess your sins today, okay? So we're going to, 
I need a couple of sins that you struggle with. I've said a bunch of them. If any of those were you, just, just uh, raise your hand up and I just need any sin. Just divulge it in front of this crowded thing online for the world to see. What? Pride. Okay, Christian. I've never heard a, I've never heard a good old heathen be like, you know what I struggle with? Pride, baby. Because it was a virtue. When I was growing up, pride was a virtue. Like, be proud of yourself. Be pride, pride. And then I became a Christian. Like, pride is bad. And I was like, because oh. I grew up in the self-esteem movement of 1981. And it was like, self-esteem was it. And my mom raised me good. Like, I, I, I got a heap of pride. Allegedly. I've overcome it all now. I'm very humble as a pastor and leader and brother and father. Um, what's another sin that you guys have? Any sin? What? Lust. That's a big one. Now, now let's, let's broaden that. It's not just lust uh, in the, the guy sense. Because if you say lust in a church setting, usually we all go to lust for sexuality. But lust is an over-desire for anything. When you put a desire on something where God should be in that place, you have lusted, you have over-desired for that thing. Now, here's what I want us to understand. Here's a fruit tree. Everyone say fruity. As Christians, we have this terrible, terrible terrible habit of looking at someone's sin life, and we look at all of these. It's called the fruit of their life. What is the sin on the surface? The one that we see. That person is mean. That person is angry. Last night, I did something very bad, and, uh, and uh, here's what happened. A few weeks ago, uh, we're staying at my folks' house while our house is getting built. I, was, uh, I hopped on to play Fortnite. And I hopped on at what we call at my house the witching hour. It's between 6 to 7.30, 7.45, when all the kids are possessed by evil. And I put on my headphones. I played. And then uh, this is a few weeks ago. And apparently it was all going really bad around me, and I didn't notice. So my wife says, Ryan, just until we move out of here, just don't do this. Like between this hour, between 6 and 8, just don't, don't do this. I'm like, okay, okay. Last, yesterday, I was like kind of in a funky mood. I didn't get to go to the gym. I was filling up the baptismal because we're baptizing today, and it sprung a leak, and I had a flood going toward their equipment that I don't own, so I was panicking, and I was like, oh, grumpy. And then uh, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to, I went home, made macaroni and cheese for the kids. It was a dad dinner because my wife wasn't feeling good. She had a little brain cyst headache thing. And I was like, I'm just going to hop on. Like, she'll never notice. And to be honest, I'm so tired, I don't really care. So I hopped on, zoned in. Apparently, evil came upon my house. And by the time I logged out, I turned around just in time to see the queen of the harpies herself coming toward me. All my kids had destroyed everything. And she said, I told you. And the evil in me, the pastor in me said, I'm sorry. The person inside, the beast in the basement, we all have it, said, I don't care. On the outside, I was fine. On the outside, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Won't do it again until next week. On the inside, I was like, I don't care. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I put on my headphones to block everything out. I go to the gym because I could put on my headphones and block everything out. We look at the fruit. The fruit is I could be impatient. The fruit is I can have a short temper. The fruit is I can yell at my kids. And if we're being a normal Christian church, and I don't mean this with any malice, because I've done this 
We've all done this. If you've been in the church, we look at the bad fruit and we say, that's bad. Stop doing it. But what happens, oh, I better write lust up here. I don't want to leave you out. Lust. This is for Jesse. Okay. We all have our types. Some of us like Vikings. Some of us don't. Um, there's a parenthesis there. It's grammar. It's like the Oxford comma. Learn it. Okay. We have, we have this propensity to what, do what I'll call behavior modification in the church. We say, here's the bad thing I see. Stop doing it. Do something else. And what happens is, and what I didn't realize with this is that you can't see um, the bottom of the tree, but down here there's roots that go under the ground, and here's the tree growing up. We only deal with the surface fruits. We never get down to the root. And if you have an issue, for example, uh, a short temper, for example, anxiety, um, or for example, lust for Jesse, which should only be done legally, biblically, if you just deal with the fruit issues, but you don't get to the root, what happens is the same thing that happens to a fruit tree. If you see an apple tree, you cut off an apple, you can cut off all the apples. Guess what happens next year? More apples grow. The whole point of keeping the commandments is that God has given us something amazing. It's the gift of repenting. And you may have been taught, because there's different ways to teach repentance, that repentance is a change of direction. You were doing this, and now you need to do this. Repentance at its core is not just a change of direction. You see, the victory comes by what? Our what? Sorry, we're going back. We're going back. Faith. Thank you. The victory comes by our faith. So what does it mean to repent? It means that we've been putting our faith in something else that's not Jesus. And today I want to teach us how to put our faith in the Jesus. In the who? The Jesus. I didn't say Jesus. I said the Jesus. Sorry, some of you don't like that. What is it to do the works of God? I asked this at a recent um, gathering that I was at. I said, what does it mean to do the works of God? Which is just a first half of a scripture. And everyone said, don't lie, don't murder, don't steal, do good, help the poor. And I said, Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. That's John 6, 29. But there's something interesting that I want to get at right before we go to, into much more drawing is this. Jesus called the people in Matthew 15, verses 10 to 20, he said, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. Because the religious people looked at Jesus and they said, look at your disciples. They're eating without washing, which like four years ago was just gross. But now if I see someone eating without washing, I judge them, right? Because of COVID, no one else, just me. Okay. <laughs> if I see some snotty-nosed person in Panera, I judge them. I'm just thinking like, ugh. And I've already had, had the monster. I've already had the bat disease. But there it is in front of me again. And, and what we do is we have these religious external things. So I'm just going to not have a, a temper. I'm going to, instead of getting angry at my kids, I'm going to find another outlet. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to say, goose fraba, goose fraba, because Adam Sandler taught me that in anger management. Or I'm going to go yell into a pillow. I went to anger management when I was a teenager because I was such an angry teenager. And they gave me all these little things to do. Instead of like hitting walls, they were like, let's hit a pillow. Instead of yelling outwardly at people, they'd say, let's go scream into a pillow. And the, the bonus is that my mom ended up buying me a heavy bag and a speed bag and all these things. You know what I did when I got angry still? I punched walls. And it helped a little bit because it was easier to punch a bag than a wall. 
But what they were trying to do is just say, here's the bad behavior, take it away, and never get to the root issue. Never get to what I was trusting and believing in that was causing me to have outbursts of anger. And if you never get to the root, you might change some of your surface sins a little bit and make them more acceptable by your friends and family and neighbors. But the beast in the basement is still fueling those things that are leading to anxiety, that are leading to faithlessness and lies, that are making you not gentle but harsh, that are making you not peaceful but anxious, that are making you not self-controlled but totally lacking in control. If you have the Spirit of God, Jesus says, it's not what goes into your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth that defiles a man. And what, what is the source of that? The heart. For as a man's heart is, so his mouth will speak. Your heart is very important. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from your heart flow the springs of life. Whatever you say, whatever you do, everyone who's ever committed murder, lies, coveting, lusting, anxiety, worry, cheating, all of the sins, they start right here. Whatever's in your heart is what will lead to what comes out of your life in actions. Colossians 3 says, set your minds on the things that are above not on the things that are on earth. So this is where we're going to get to today. And there's some notes about this in the Bible app that's not working. Um, so if it ever starts working, there's some notes, and I can post them on the Facebook. Because here, here's where it starts. The repentance isn't just a change of direction. It's a change of heart and mind of what you and I believe about God. There's nothing wrong with looking at the fruit. You can look at the fruit all day. It helps us see what's bad in my life, what's broken in my life. But if you never get below this, then that's bad. So here's the questions in order that I want us to think about. When you see a pattern in your life that you want broken, we know this question is, how should I live? And usually, most religious people stop right there. How should I live? I want to live this way, not this way, so walk this path as much as I can. And if it's a really good sermon, you'll last for two weeks. If it's a normal sermon, you'll last for four to six hours tops of changing your behavior. And then you'll slide back into the old ways. So going down is what we have to do to get to the root issues. We have to examine our sin and go all the way down to find out who God is, what God has done, specifically in Christ, and then who am I because of what God has done, and let that begin to change the fruit of our lives. See, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you or me. It's the Holy Spirit within you. So now I really need a sin. And um, we can do lust. Do you want to try lust, Jesse? Should we try lust? Okay, so it's just me and you, Jesse. Here we go. Jesse's sin of lust. Is there anything specific that you lust after, Jesse? You should have picked a more innocuous one. This is going to terrify little people here. Walking past Victoria's secret. Victoria has no secrets anymore. Victoria. Jesse. No, I don't do that. I won't do that. So, fleshly lust of the relational orientation. Now, how would you want to live? If you could choose the way that the Hefe lives, how do you want to live? Lust-free way to be, baby. Lust-free wife. Which way is that pointing? How do I point an arrow back toward Dawn? She's over there. Okay. So, Let's go all the way back. Now, functionally, I know you. You believe that God is the creator of the universe. You believe that God is three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
You believe that the Father sent his son Jesus perfectly and he died for you and he rose again to pay for all of your sins. You believe that God is in control. You believe that God is a giver of good gifts. Um, these are things that I know about you just having met you a few minutes ago. When you're lusting after anything, a car, another person, um, video games, peace, like I crave peace. Um, what is it saying that you actually are believing, functionally believing? Do you believe that God has given you a good and perfect gift of a pretty rad wife in Dawn, or are you not believing it in that moment? Huh? Not believing it. Now here's what Jesse's doing that 90% of us aren't going to do. He's being brutally honest with himself. In the moment that we do any sin, functionally he's saying, I don't believe that God has given me a good gift. It's a negative here. Good gift. I don't believe in good gifts. God is a giver of good gifts. He knows that in his head. But in his heart he's saying, well, God has given me this gift, but there's another gift out there. I used to say in my younger years, um, I tried to not lust. And I would say, ah, don't lust, look away. Uh, I, I changed it many years ago, um, and now I haven't even had to use this for, for quite some time, but it's in my toolbox where I'll see someone who might strike me as physically attractive, and I'll say, good job, God, but that one's not mine. That's someone else's spouse. Jesse's being very honest, and most people wouldn't be at this point. He's just saying, functionally, he sees something that he wants, and he's saying, I don't believe that God has given me all the good gifts. There's good gifts that I want that I don't have. I was giving another um, chapel person a hard time, um, mostly because they're getting a toy that I want. You see, one of my dear friends um, is getting a vehicle that I am craving to drive. He already told me that I could drive it, and I kept um, trying to get him to purchase it so that I could drive it. And he told me he did purchase it. And, uh, and promptly, I just wanted to say, you dirty sinner. How could you do that? Um, I'm very excited to drive this car. So I didn't shame him or her. I don't want to give it away. It's him. Um, but we're, we don't like to be honest with ourselves like Jesse just did. Don't. Like saying, I, if I look at someone, I'm not believing that God gives good gifts. What has Christ done for you, Jesse? How valuable are you to him? Let's think in terms of relationship. Uh, Jesus is the groom and you are the bride. Jesus said, I've got this amazing relationship with the church, Jesse, and I want you to know that I'm going to give you a blueprint of what groomhood looks like. It looks like this. Nothing will take my eyes off of you, Jesse. Jesse, I am so fixed on you and the church as a whole that I will wash the church, wash the bride with the water of the word. I will do it freely whether or not the church loves me. As a matter of fact, Jesse, Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet runaway briding, Jesus said, I'm coming for you. And Jesus gives us this amazing picture of a wedding where he is pursuing when we are running. So this is what Christ has done for us. And then in Christ, we get to be the bride. Now, this is all coming back to lust. In Christ, we are the bride. And Jesus is the groom. And he says, no matter what you do, I'm never going to stop chasing you. You run away from me, I'm coming after you. There's no giving up in my heart for you. And now we're going to go all the way down to the question. 
Who is God at the core of all of these things? Now, this is something that we could do in like two hours to weed out deep sins. This is something I do to myself, but we just have to do it in a short version today. God is three in one, Father, Son, Spirit, which means he is relational. Do you think God being a relational creature, a relational being, do you think that matters to our relations with one another? Absolutely. Do you think it matters to Jesse's relations? See, one of the things that's hard about lust is that you can hide it. One of the things that's hard about pride, which has been said to be the root of all sins, that you can hide it. You can do a lot of evil, heartbreaking things to God that no one else sees. Because a lust is just a glance, right? Jesse, pretend I'm a Victoria's Secret model. How long is the glance? This one was faster than the others. See, it's only because his wife is next to him that he would say it that way. Um, I've been eating kale. I thought it would work. You can hide lust by one of a glance. You can hide pride by masking it under a false veneer of faith or humility. Now, getting to the root of it is, is here's the problem. We've got to find out the God that's causing, that, G, that Jesse's believing in, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the relational God, the sacrificing God, the creative God, the God who gives good gifts, the God who walks with his children, the God who forgives his children, the God who wants what is best for his children. See, lust leads to something outside of not just what we would have as a rule, an obligation, but outside of an opportunity to have a type of relationship that God wants us to have. And I'll prove it. Women in here, how many of you would love if your man or future man only ever had eyes, thoughts, emotions, feelings, and sacrifice and joy for you wrapped up in you in a relationship and not any other woman ever? Every girl say amen. Amen. That's a lot of adulteresses. You guys should have all said amen. But only three of you did? Or was it quiet? It was a quiet amen. So what's the God that Jesse's believing in? There's a God that there's a better gift giver out there, Victoria, which I like the illustration of Victoria because it gives a name to it. And we're so hesitant to name the gods that we, we are actually believing in. We're believing that the God of some other short fleeting pleasure will give us something that we need that will make us feel happier, more peaceful, more gentle, more kind, more self-controlled, the fruit of the Spirit. But these things do not deliver. These Fruits, lust, if we just say, Jesse, stop lusting, instead read the Bible. Man, I have done that. I have been reading the Bible through bleedingly angry, sad, shame-filled eyes, thinking, if I only look at this book, then I'll never lust again until you get to the story about a girl taking a bath on a roof. That's in the Bible. We're teaching that in children's ministry today. We're not. Oh, sorry, if you're new. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm your pastor. This is not as normal as normal, but I can't help it. See, here's the thing. The God that, that Jesse's believing in is making promises. What has this lowercase God done? It said, you want this in a gift. You want this for pleasure. And it never satisfies. Odd how that works. Satan's tools and tactics are always to get you to find and believe in another God. And in the garden, it was believe in the God of yourself. 
said, did God really say? Did God really say to not eat of the tree? And, they, and he got him to doubt God's word. Because some people would say, well, how do I overcome a sin? Well, here's what you do. You go memorize and read scripture. Well, that's great, except Satan knows scripture really well. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was led out by the Spirit to be tempted, the Spirit led him out to the desert to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit's not here to give you the, the easiest, happy-go-lucky life. He will lead us on the path that will, that will bring us into a place where we have more opportunities to have sin brought out of our lives and have the fruit of the Spirit grow and grow and grow. So the God that Jesse needs to repent of is this, this God of lust saying, I, I am believing in a God that will give me better gifts than what God the Father has given me. What, what has Christ done? What has God done through Jesus Christ? He's given me the gift of a union to himself, to Jesus. And then Jesse got a bonus. He got Don also. And the whole reason God gave you Don is because you needed more of an understanding of what Jesus' union is like. That's the reason for every marriage. Now, if you're single in here and you're like, I think God's calling me to be single, that is an amazing gift as well. I love that Jesus didn't have anything to do with women. I think it probably freed up a lot of his time, now that I think about it. But, uh, but anyway, that's a different sermon as well. You see, Jesus gave you Don and gave you to Don so that you could see, like sometimes, this marriage stuff, it's tough, Jesse. I'm going to marry you at the marriage feast of the Lamb, Jesse, and I need you to understand that sometimes what, what you do to me is going to be like what marriage tastes like on earth. Because you guys probably don't get along all the time. There's probably some times where I'm guessing, and you guys are both black belts. That's a double dangerous marriage. Like, I wouldn't mouth off to Don ever because she's short, quick access, front kick, boom, down. Um, but it's amazing, isn't it? Isn't a marriage, you guys have been married for five years, coming up on six years now? Seven years? Seven years? Yeah. Seven years, there's this thing outside these, these, these bodies called the seven-year itch. That's stupid. Don't ever get it. Because Jesus never got itchy for you. Kept chasing you. Kept running after you. And what God has done, he's given you the perfect gifts for you to become the man that he wants you to be. And he's given you opportunities now to where when you see something that you want to lust about, don't just say, ah, Jesse, stop lusting. Bad Jesse, bad Jesse. And by Jesse, I mean Ryan. Say, so what God is this that's doing this to me? It's a God of not believing. It's a lowercase g God that says, God the Father in heaven, he didn't give me the best gift that I want. I, I don't want the gift. I know that that happens in life. I know that we, we get things from God and, and we think, God, can I just have something else? And it doesn't work that way. God doesn't give you um, return receipts. If you pray for patience, be prepared for tribulation and struggles and trials. If you pray for joy, be prepared for seasons where your character gets hardened like a diamond. He doesn't just drop things out of the sky most of the time. He brings us through situations to make us into the men and women he is trying. And repentance is this, getting away from the fruit, going all the way down to not just who am I in Christ, not what has God has done, who God is. God is a loving God who loves Jesse. Jesse believes it. Victoria is a spiteful God who will continue to make your eyes wander. What has God done for you? He has united himself to you. He has showed you what love looks like. He has pursued you and you did not pursue him. Who does that make you in Christ? Always loved, never abandoned, never unaccepted. You're always acceptable. I think it's cool, one of the pro tips for you young men and married men, 
Um, just compliment your wife. If you haven't done that for a while, tell your wife she's beautiful. Tell your wife she's lovely. Tell your wife you love the way that she, that she looks and the way that she mothers and that she has a, a gentle spirit about her. Unless it's a lie, in which case there's a verse in Proverbs. I think it's also in Proverbs 4. I can't remember. Um, if your wife is a dripping faucet, it says go live on the corner of a roof. So you do you. But who are you in Christ, Jesse? You're a perfect son of God. There's no lust that you have to succumb to. The Bible says in John that we overcome by our faith. By our faith in what? We take our faith away from this and we put our faith into Jesus, into God. Repentance isn't just stop doing this bad thing. Repentance is stop following this bad God. Most of the gods in our life um, will be ourselves will be our control. You can do this with any sin. It's, it's remarkable um, how easy it is for sin to creep into our lives. Anxiety is one that I've been working on with myself. My short temper is something I've been working on with myself. In all of these things, you start at the bottom. What do I know about who God is? What do I know about what God has done for me? How does this tell me about who I am in Jesus? And then what happens is this, the Spirit works this change about in you. See, there's uh, the notes in the Bible app, which you can't access, tells us that we cannot change on our own. We need the Holy Spirit of God to grow fruit in us. We look at the commandments of God and you will fail miserably. We, the debate that we got into at Band of Brothers yesterday was that I have an allergic reaction when I say it's all about grace. I have an allergic reaction. If someone says grace, but we, then we do this, or grace, and then we do this, I just kind of get all hived and sneezed up. See, the reality is this. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, loved 100%. Then we have the opportunities to grow, not obligations. You may hear this and go sinning like gangbusters. By all means, I hope you don't. But if you truly have received Jesus into your life, I'm not even going to say then that you'll be better. Because some Christians will say, if you receive Jesus, then you will get better. But I've met enough people to know that some people receive Jesus, and they are still as trollish as they were the day they received him. Well, the Bible says that he'll change us. <clears throat> yes, at his speed, not at your speed. If I could change people, people would be very different. If I could change my children, they'd probably be very different. If I could change my wife, she would be exactly what she is today, right now. <laughs> Sorry about yesterday, babe. <clears throat> the beast in the basement. You see, we need to go beyond the bad fruit and get down to the unbelieving root. We need to see what God has done for us in Jesus and who we are because of that. We need to remember that, believe in that, put our faith in that. And as we put our faith in that, then the fruit that grows will be the fruit of the Spirit. It won't be lust. It won't be joylessness. It won't be anxiety. It won't be lies. It won't be evil. It won't be anger. It will be the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh growing these weeds out of our heart. And the reason why is because it's an opportunity to be who God has called you and created you and saved you to be. And at times, we forget this. At times, it's easier just to say, you know what? That's a lot of work 
to just get rid of one sin. Well, sin is going to do a lot of damage. It's going to continue to eat at you and to lead you down to false altars where you believe in yourself or you believe in something that will satisfy you. And you've all been down that road and you know that it's wanting. I pray that you wouldn't continue. See, repentance is to change our mind about who or what God is. Our sinful thoughts, our words, our actions, they spring from unbelief in our hearts and they come out. I'm trying to get us to do the hard work of heart work where we dig down and we find out these false gods we've believed in. If you, uh, obviously I have a lot of anxiety, so I've been mentioning it. And it's an easy one because it's the one that I was taught with in this model. Um, if you're an anxious person, what do you believe about yourself that you are in control? What do you believe about your situation that my situation is out of control? So you look at God and Jesus and what they did on the cross. And you remember that God is the one who's in control. He created the whole universe. That's, what he, that's who he is, the creator. You look at what he has done. He sent Jesus who died. And in the moment that he died, all hope was lost. Everyone thought, this can't be it. it, it he's supposed to save us. And in the moment where everyone thought God was out of control, he was at maximum peak focus of saying, I'm getting this done. And he rose again three days later. He's in control even when the world seems like it's out of control. Therefore, I can trust in that. And when I trust that God is in control, I remember that I am under his control. I'm part of that under God's control. So everything going on in my life that seems to be unraveling, that seems to be shaking me down to the foundation, I know that it's not true because God is always in control and I can see it in Jesus and what happened to him. Therefore, I can exhale and breathe and rest and have peace. Every sin... You can run through this. And there's notes, great notes on how to do this in the Bible app. It's not working. You can try to scan it on the way out. If it doesn't work, it won't work. Um, you can, I can send it to you. This is just a, con, a hyper-condensed version of a, um, of a DNA that we used to use at the chapel. A few of you have gone through the DNA. Um, and if you want it, I'll send you the whole PDF. It will wreck your life in a beautiful way. It will make your marriage stronger, rooted in Christ. It will help you uh, overcome things that maybe have been battling you for years. It'll help you get from the surface level Christianity of looking at fruit all the way down to seeing the roots of the false gods that you're following and believing in. We all have them. I have them. You have them. Uh, I want to close with this brief encouragement. I have a, a friend, and he uh, was in the ministry for many, many years, up until about a month ago. And he was doing all the right things. He preached the sermons. He prayed for people. He visited hospitals. But what he was doing in the midst of that, unbeknownst, because you can't see the roots, you can only see the fruit, is that he was burning parts of his family so that his ministry could continue. And finally, um, this friend, uh, in an act of beautiful grace of God, this is a grace, not a curse, his wife said, you walk away from the ministry, or I walk away from you. And you might think, that is quite an ultimatum. If you knew how hard it was to love you guys, you would know that I would jump at the, ch the chance. But this man knew he had been living for a lowercase g god of ministry. He knew that his worth was tied up in how many people he could get at the services. He, it all got brought to the service in one conversation, and he left the ministry to the praise and glory of Jesus 
and now the marriage is growing again. He's uprooted these roots that were leading to bad fruit in his life. And these roots will now fill by the power of the Spirit into the trunk, up to the branches, out to the leaves, and produce good fruit. And it's an opportunity that he has and that his wife have for new beginnings. If you ever think you're past new beginnings, you're not. I've seen new beginnings. It's why I love this job. I love to see someone who thinks there's no hope find the hope in Jesus that exists for you. Um, so that's the short version. I love you all. It was very nerdy. I knew it would be. Um, but I pray that you would at least have your interest peaked. If you want the whole packet um, or just the snippet of this, just text me your, text me your email address, 813-444-7170, 813-444-7170. I will send you a PDF. If you want the whole DNA, um, I can send that to you. I've got to find the most final copy. You probably have a copy on your computer, yeah? Um, so I'll probably get that from Amanda or dig it out of my hard drive. 813-444-7170, or you could text me just meaningless dad jokes. I like those as well. Um, now we have something really fun. That was nerdy, but I love it. This is the best part, like probably the best part, other than when someone comes to faith, is that we get to baptize people today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. But there is something special that happens with baptism. Uh, there's something special that happens the moment you put the ring on your finger at the altar. Even though it, this is a symbol of an outward, of an inward reality, if I take this off, I'm still married. If you come to Christ, you don't have to get baptized to be saved. We know this because the thief on the cross, Jesus said, I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. But baptism is the opportunity that we have once we accept Jesus to tell everyone and to show everyone, I am buried in Christ. I'm dead. I no longer live. Now it's Christ who lives in me. And the qualifications for baptism are not completing a 101, 201, 301 class. The qualifications are this. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And that's what we celebrate in baptism. It's not a time for timid little claps that are polite. It's a time where we cheer and hoop and holler and rejoice because people are Confessing by their actions to you, I am a follower of Jesus.